That's right. Welcome in. Welcome back to a by edition of the always Irish Notre Dame football podcast channel. Oh boy. We got a lot to cover. We got even in a bye week, we have a lot to cover. Actually, in a lot of ways, the bye week came at a perfect time for Notre Dame. There's a lot to think about. There's a lot to do. There's a lot to figure out. There's a lot to improve on. So let's get the propers out of the way and and then go over some things. We we gotta we have to collectively talk some things through here. Okay. So let's let's do this. Obviously, you can find me at Always Irish on YouTube. Like, subscribe it, write comments, call me stupid underneath. I, I don't care what you do. I just like the interaction. Same thing goes for Twitter. Type in Always Irish. You'll find me right away. Or at JKZND4. As always, we're on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, other things that I forget what they even are. Like, subscribe, share, review. That helps us be more searchable, moves us up in the search engine. It helps the operation I appreciate it very much if you do that. So with the, the propers out of the way, here's, here's where we're going to start today. I We're going to go through, here, here's the deal, with the bye week, and it's weird because everybody has an extra bye week because there's an extra week within the football season and these the football season months, so everybody gets an extra bye and, and so Notre Dame having their week two, I didn't know going into the season looking at that, I didn't know whether that was good, bad, fortunate, unfortunate. I, I didn't really know how to feel about it. Seeing the injuries pile up that Notre Dame has suffered and then seeing how we played week one, I think the buy's at a perfect time for Notre Dame. It wouldn't be if it was the only one we're going to get. But since we still have another one in our back pocket, I think this one was advantageous. Um, for one reason, obviously, to get another week of guys healthy without missing a game. That's number one. And number two, I think, is to settle everything down. And I mean that from the players, the fans, the coaches, everybody. Just to kind of Give everybody a little breather. Let things kind of calm down. Look at the game film from Louisville. Try and figure out some things, okay? Because are we all in agreement that that wasn't a clean performance? Or am I still going to have people pushing back on me on that? Seriously. Even Brian Kelly said in his press conference, Ian Book knows he has a set of standards for himself. He didn't come close to it, and he's mad and upset about it. So why is it wrong when I say it? Why am I the jerk when I bring that up? When they think it, they feel it, they know it. I still got people telling me I'm a jerk, that I can't just sit there and be happy for two weeks. There are goals and things to accomplish bigger than just beating Louisville week one. That's what I'm thinking about. The big picture. So people need to quit it. Brian Kelly knows it and the team knows it. They didn't play that damn sharp. 
And it was enough to win by a wide margin, but it wasn't up to their standards. So don't yell at me for saying it isn't up to mine. Sick of that. Can't you just be happy? Blah, blah, blah. No, I got bigger goals than beating a team totally rebuilding. Same thing goes for this week. And I'm not even getting, I will get into it in a little bit. But don't get me started on New Mexico. Oh, this is off to a rage, raging start here. I thought maybe I would be able to, the more distance and time that we get away from the Louisville game, I thought maybe I'd be able to just chill out and relax and talk through this stuff calmly tonight. And that didn't even last a five-minute mark. I'm sorry, but I'm done having patience for people just telling me, oh, just be happy we won. I just don't live that way. I look at the big picture, man. If this was Michigan week one and we barely got by, I would be happy because that's a quality opponent. You look at it differently depending on who you're playing. If you're playing a really good, high-quality opponent, I don't care how it looks. Just find a way to win. But that's not what we who we played against. So I had higher expectations that were not met top to bottom. The team feels the same way. So I don't want to hear that anymore. The wine and cheese Notre Dame crowd's really getting old to me. Those people need to die off. And let people with standards move in. Anyways, what I was trying to say is, this bye week comes at a pretty good time that Notre Dame needs it. To look at this film and figure a lot of this stuff out. And with the injuries and stuff, figure out the next plan. So they needed the extra week. I just hope it was put to good use. So let's start with some updates. Jafar's out about six weeks. He, the, the poor kid just can't stay healthy. And it's super unfortunate. And it's like, Chris Tyree, you know, I, we could have used you this year. And we'll get into that. Now, the good news is Cole Komet's close. They could even push him to probably play this week. I don't know if they will or not. I don't know if... I, I don't know the plan, but he's apparently close and could be eligible to play this week. It sounds like Michael Young is a week behind him in that recovery time, which makes perfect sense looking at when they both got hurt one week in the next week. I don't know if that means Michael Young could be ready and be pressed into action when we go to Athens. That would excite me, but I don't know if they're going to push it or give these guys an extra week. I, I don't know the plan there. So, so some bad news on the injury front and some good news on the injury front. The bad news is, I, it sounds like the goal of this offense last week was all supposed to run through Jafar. Then he goes out and it's all a mishmash of nothing. <sighs> Avery Davis is back on offense. That's I, To me, it's just a, that's a sign you're desperate when you got to move guys around like that. I, I don't, whatever. Uh, they need the body, so he's apparently back on offense in that slot hybrid type role. So there's some personnel updates for you. That is the latest I know. This is Monday evening. So let's let's move on. I sat back 
rewatched the game, the Louisville game, a couple different times. And let's talk about offense. The more I, I, I watch, the more I just don't know. I have no clue what Notre Dame's offensive plan is. I have no clue what they're trying to accomplish regularly, consistently. I, I have no idea what the philosophy is. I kept watching that game over and over. I can't figure out what they were trying to do. I don't get it. And the more I watched, I hope it would start to make sense. But the more I watched, the more frustrated I got. And I started thinking about this. And maybe there's two theories here, two working theories. And I'm not, this is not novel, me bringing it up. I've, I've thought of it and I've heard other people bring it up. One was the offense looked totally all weird because Jafar was going to be the main part of the offense. And then once he went out, they, had no, they couldn't figure it out. I, whatever. I mean, what do you say to that? Fine? Like, I don't know. So that's one reason I've been told and read and philosophized on my own of why everything looks so disjointed. The other theory is that they're holding back a bunch of stuff for Georgia. Now, I don't think this is the case. Maybe some little wrinkles or a trick play or a gadget or something. Yeah, obviously you're going to hold that back. But I'm not buying that the offense only threw four pass attempts beyond 10 yards all night, the furthest one hitting a cheerleader in the face, not even close to being on the field. I'm not buying that that was by design just to hide it from Georgia because the reason why is that is not a Brian Kelly thing to do. Brian Kelly doesn't like playing young kids and he likes to see all this experience and reps and seeing what guys are and knowing what he has. This would fly totally opposite of that. That you're not going to try and run anything downfield at all and then just it's going to all be perfect the first time you're doing it in Athens, Georgia in front of the whole country. Then you're going to pull it out and it's going to run smoothly. I don't buy that. That's just not a very Brian Kelly thing to do. I, I just don't see him doing that. He refuses to let young guys, he refuses to let the fastest guy on the team just run straight and try and catch a pass. And you want me to think he's holding back this entire dynamic, intricate web of crossing patterns down the field and deep posts? You want me to think that? I don't think that. That's not Brian Kelly's MO. He's never operated like that. I have a hard time thinking he's going to now. Maybe I'm wrong. And if I am wrong and it works out and he starts toasting Georgia deep, I'm all for it. Good for you. Good plan. But I don't think that's the case, and that's why it worries me. The other thing is, wouldn't 
The flip side of that coin of just trying to surprise Georgia, and that's why we are holding back all these downfield passes. The argument, the other argument against that, besides just wanting to see if we could do it before you're on the biggest stage in America with everybody watching, the other argument is even if it's not successful in your earlier games to show some of that downfield stuff because it's one more thing Georgia has to prepare for when they see that you're willing to go deep on tape and they and they the way this looked to me with two passes past 20 yards and only four total past 10 yards Georgia's just going to stack the entire box, stop the run, make book not give him those outlet dump offs, and they're just going to they're just going to they're just going to close all that off with their speed. And so I just again, I'm left with more questions than answers. I just am. And I just it's it's I'm I'm very uncomfortable because I just don't I just don't know the plan. And I think we're teetering and flirting with disaster here with this offense. You can say I'm overreacting all you want, but when I look at what we did and I look at who we've lost, that's a recipe for problems. It just is. It just is to me. And so I don't really know what the plan is. And what what the plan is going forward. If the plan moving forward is we trust Tony Jones and we like the way he's running and he's going to be our lead back. Listen, Tony Jones is a number two back. He's a really good, different type of runner. Change the pace, do some different number two back. Tony Jones is just not a every down starting line back. He's just not. He's a good number two. So now if you tell me he's the next guy we trust the most after Jafar, we're going to work the running game through Tony Jones. That means one thing to me. You need to run run plays straight ahead. Tony Jones ain't going to turn the corner. Tony Jones not going to do that. So if you're going to make him the, the star back, you need to design plays to just run forward. None of, none of this tricky stuff around the edge. Tony Jones ain't fast enough to do that. And I don't want to see it. You might be able to against New Mexico. The fighting Bob Davies win one for the Gipper from his hospital bed. In case you don't know, he had some problem, was in the hospital, isn't going to make the game. That's why I'm making that reference. But against Georgia, there's no such thing as running Tony Jones around the edge. They're too fast. So if that's going to be your running game, it needs to be smash mouth. Pick your favorite gap and run straight ahead. That needs to be the plan if that's the way you're going to go. It's just extremely limited. It's really unfortunate what's happened. Because at first, it was going to be this dynamic passing offense down the field, Action, get the ball in space. We need to be more explosive. Blah, 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 blah. Let me see it. And all we're going to see these two tight end sets and then Komet gets hurt and so then that plan goes out. 
So then that was going to be less of the plan, and we were going to do more of these dynamic two-back sets. Now Jafar's out, now that plan's screwed up. So now where do you go? That's why they needed these two weeks, because that was going to be the original plan. All this dynamic passing, these two tight ends and stuff, and that got messed up. Okay, well, we got these running backs. We could throw dump-offs, use them as an extension of the running game. Now Jafar's out. That That's a problem. So now where do you go? Chip Long and Brian Kelly, you need to make your money th these two weeks in this buy time to figure out your next plan. Because your next plan has to be a lot better than the last one. And, you know, I'm going to talk about some other games that went on and just some general thoughts. That's something people have asked me to do is to hit hit on my thoughts on some of the other games and other things going on in football. I've been asked to do more of that. And we're going to get to it because a lot of these games I watched, all these modern offenses are throwing the ball all over down the field, making plays, even LSU. You picture LSU, this you know tough defense, run the ball type of offense. And now I got them throwing the ball all over and I'm sitting there getting frustrated that we don't do it. And so even offenses that are not known to be passing the ball downfield are passing the ball downfield. Everybody's doing it. It's modern offense. And here we are, four passes over 20 yards the whole game. I just, I just don't, I, I honestly don't understand why. Is this 1947? I don't get it. I just, I really don't understand it. And I've tried to hypothesize and they just don't, I'm trying to come up with logical reasons that we would have seen that. And I don't have good answers. I gave you two theories. I don't like either one. I don't. So I don't understand what's going on, man. And and so I, I just don't, I'm frustrated by it. I don't understand it, especially when I start seeing programs that are not known to have dynamic passing offenses doing it. It's just like, it's, it's, it's mind boggling to me. We don't, we didn't even try it. I don't get it. Like I'm watching all these college games and NFL games and I just see teams willing to have their best receiver run really far down the field really fast and then throw it up and see if they can make a play or get a pass interference. You're telling me there was not one play where Chase Claypool, your freak athlete, NFL draft pick, had a great spring, had a great summer. Not one play. You could have just had him streak straight down the field and have Book throw it as far as he can and see what happens. Not one time. You can't take that one shot. I find that hard to believe. I need an explanation for it. Why? Why was that not tried? And here's the next thing. I've been on this forever. I, I've been on this all the way back to last year against Clemson. You have to explain to me why Notre Dame cannot find somebody has got to explain to me <clears throat> how it's possible 
that Notre Dame's fastest player on offense cannot make his way on the field for even one play. I truly do not understand this. I was an advocate for letting Braden Lindsey run deep and try and change the game against Clemson. Why is it that the fastest kid on offense can't find a role to get one play? Not one. Why? Oh, well, John, he's not a good blocker. Run down the field as fast as you can and get under a ball and make a play. Doesn't require blocking. An end-around little tricky play where he just has to catch a sweep and run requires no blocking. I'm not asking him to be an everyday receiver. I'm asking why they can't find a, pl a play for the fastest kid on offense after multiple years in the program. Why? Somebody give me a good reason. Why? Oh, well, he doesn't have experience. Well, you know what? There's only one way to get experience. Give the kid a chance to make a play. So, I just have questions about this stuff. Just philosophically, I just can't wrap my mind around some of this or find justifiable answers for this. And the thing with Braden Lindsay, sometimes I think I'm crazy. I have these, I'm not a coach, you know, I, I, I didn't play high level football. I, so it's like, sometimes it's like, John, maybe you're just the one with your brains all messed up. And then I hear, I hear this, 1988, you know, I don't know, that, that year might be special to you for some reason or another, I don't know. But in 1988, there's a freshman on the Notre Dame football team. He happened to be number 25, and his name was Rocket Ismail. So do you want to know what Lou Holtz told Tony Rice about this? Lou Holtz told Tony Rice, here's the deal. Rocket, you're not ready to be an every down type of player. There's still a lot of things you have to learn. You're a freshman. But you are the fastest athlete we have on this team. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to, when the ball snapped, run as fast as you can in a straight line right down the field. Then he turned to Tony Rice. He said, Tony, here's what I want you to do. Buy some time and then throw the ball as far as you can down the field. And we're going to see what happens. Why, why can't that happen here? Why can't you just take a shot? I don't get it. If it's good enough for Lou Holtz and Tony Rice and Rocket, then I think we could find a way for Ian Book to throw a ball to Braden Lindsey. Especially given that you're short at receiver. Again, I don't get it. I'm not a coach. I don't get paid to make these decisions. But it seems to me that when your offense needs a spark and is lacking some of their top-end athletes now, you would be well-served to find a role for the fastest player you have. He can't run a jet sweep. He can't just run a fly pattern. I don't believe it. I just, I refuse to believe it. I don't get it. And if he's, oh, he's not smart enough to figure this stuff out, then how's he getting through classes at Notre Dame 
if you can't figure out how to run a pattern. So I don't buy it. And it just bothers me. You can't find plays for your fastest player. I don't buy it. I don't believe it. You're paying Chip Long all this money. He can't figure it out. Something else, philosophically speaking, and maybe there's some X's and O's guys that can give me the reason for this. I've said before, I'm, this is not an X's and O's shows. There are some pretty much purely X's and O's shows. I never claim to be that. I don't want to be that. That bores me. It only interests me for a certain amount of time. And so that's not the point of this show. I don't want to be that show. However, maybe I just don't know a lot about offense. But philosophically, explain to me, I was re-watching the game, and this happened a few times. When you're in a third or fourth and short, two, three yards to go, how does it make sense when that's your situation to run a zone run from the shotgun on the short hash to the short sideline. How does that make sense? I'm I just philosophically X's and O's wise. How does that make any sense? You're already on the right hash going to the short side of the field. That's already a disadvantage space spatially wise. Then you run it from the shotgun, meaning you're three to four yards behind where you need to get to even get to the next three or four yards. I don't understand that. How does that make any sense? Why would you want to give the defense the advantage that you're already hiking the ball and have three more yards you have to go to even get to the line of scrimmage to gain the three you need for a first down? How does that make sense? They kept doing this. I don't get it. You're in the shotgun. Now you're already a couple yards behind where you need to get. Running into a short side. I, I just philosophically don't understand that. It seems like you're lining more things up against you on your own. Starting off behind the line of scrimmage three yards. That's a disadvantage. Running to the short side of the field where all their people and the sideline is. Major disadvantage. I just don't get it. So I, I don't I don't understand this. I just I kept seeing it and re-watching it. I don't get it. Is that something books supposed to check out to and throw to a outlet? Like a hot route? Is he supposed to see that and check out? Or, or is the plan always just to run into a wall and lose three yards. I just, I, I struggle with this. I just philosophically can't wrap my mind around how is that putting us in the best position to succeed on that play? It seems to me you're stacking the odds against you on your own. Another question I had is, re-watching this, where was Chris Fink? The entire game. What did he get? One a one catch or two catch two attempts and one catch. So I don't know if them messing with his role because Michael Young's out and they had to shift things around screwed up his timing with book. 
But when you look at it, he actually did pull line up on the inside some. It wasn't like he was just outside. And so I just don't understand what happened there where he just disappeared. Wasn't getting open or Book wasn't seeing him or both. I don't know. I, I just, I don't know. And so moving forward, I, I just don't know what the plan is. And the scary part about not knowing what the plan is, is I don't know if, if anything you're going to see against this horrible, atrocious New Mexico team is going to give you any answers to make you feel better going into the next week going to Athens. Now, we're going to get into, I have a list of 10 specific things to look for from the New Mexico game. And we're going to get into that in a minute. But I don't know going against them, even if it all goes the way I want, if it's even good enough competition to let me read anything into it against going into Georgia. However, it should at least give the guys more confidence that they got something going, got some momentum, get some rhythm, like, like whatever. So for the players, I think there's certainly good things that could come out of doing the 10 things I have that they need to do to clean up against New Mexico. I think they can gain some confidence. But for me, I, I don't know what there is I could see against New Mexico that's going to make me feel a whole hell of a lot better against Georgia. But we'll get into the 10 things we need to see. They're very specific. You know, but, but one of them is just running the ball for a ton of yards against New Mexico, that, that, that should not make you feel confidence going into Georgia. That should just be expected just based on physical body mismatches in this game. So I need to see a lot more than just putting up a bunch of running yards against New Mexico because they're not going to be there the next week. So I don't know how much that's going to accomplish. So that leads me into New Mexico, and I tried to do an honest scouting report on them. I used uh, Pete Futek, who's a pretty well-respected college guy, pretty level-headed. I trust his insight, um, and it, quite frankly, I'm going to spend one minute breaking down New Mexico because it's not even worth our time. It's just not worth our time. This needs to be a glorified scrimmage. Work on whatever you need to work on. Like if we thought that's what Louisville was supposed to be, this game should be 10 times that. Seriously. First off, it's Bob Davey, and he's not even going to be there. That's number one. They're 3-9 and nine last year, bad all around. They gave up 443 passing yards to Sam Houston State last week. So if you want something to measure yourself against, Pass for more than 443 yards because that's what they gave up to Sam Houston State last week. And I don't even know what that is. That, I, that's another thing. What is Sam Houston State? Sam Houston is not a state. So how could it be state? Michigan State is the state. Michigan, Florida State, Ohio State. What's Sam Houston State? That ain't a state. 
So I don't understand even what that is. I don't know what that is. But they passed for 443 yards against New Mexico. So I expect Notre Dame to pass for 500 at least. Come on. So, and here's the other thing too. Last year, 119th in the nation. They allowed 36 plus a game. Average giving up 500 plus yards of offense a game. And they lost 10 of their 11 leading tacklers off that team. But here's the thing. New Mexico doesn't have half the athletes and speed and talent even Louisville has. Like Louisville, you could point out, they got a handful of guys that can play anywhere. They surprised me with some of their skill talent. New Mexico doesn't have that. They don't have half the speed and talent and athleticism Louisville has on the roster. So I don't know how... You're supposed to judge this. Other than I have these things that I, I these things I want to see, and I guess I'll feel better if I see them. But this needs to be a glorified scrimmage win by 45 points. Like this is just where you need to be if you're decent at all. I'm not trying to downgrade these programs, but they're just bad. They're just bad. And so before, yeah, that's it. That's the New Mexico breakdown. They're terrible. They're atrocious. They're bad. They don't have talent. They don't have depth. They're terrible. So work on whatever you need to work on. And I'm going to tell you what you need to work on in a second. Before I get to that, a couple thoughts on the defense. One is re-watching the game. I think a lot of our guys were really, really amped up, eager to make plays, and just over-pursued. Particularly the defensive ends did that a ton. Not just evidence as them jumping off sides, but just getting behind the play or too far into a spot where you needed to be outside and they got too far inside, letting guys get around them. Like There was a lot of over-pursuit, and I can live with that. At least that's an aggressive mistake. Like, at least that's a guy so amped up to make a play. He just overran it. Like, I can live with some of that week one. And I expect a lot of that and a lot of the bad gaps, uh, gap integrity and, and staying in those run-fit lanes and stuff. I think that's another reason that having, having a two-week layoff is great because you can really work with those young linebackers on that type of stuff based on the film. And having a half a month to do it, I think, is super helpful. And so I do expect some of that stuff to level out and balance out and look better. Um, I mean, let's face it. Even Khalid Kareem and Aquar, they did not have great games. I think they're so amped up and it worked against them. And so, but you know what you're going to get out of those guys. But... The two weeks should really be beneficial for those linebackers to be able to look at this Louisville film, see the mistakes they made, learn that gap integrity better, you know, whatever, man. Two weeks to look at it's got to be a benefit, right? I expect a huge improvement in that area. Have to, You have to see it. It has to get better. Now, here's the other thing after watching this tape and... 
I hate doing this. Um, I'm uncomfortable doing this. I try not to do this. But Asmar Bilal just can't play this many snaps anymore. His role needs to be diminished. If not, just the last guy in. I, I'm sorry. I, I don't... Here, here's why. He was... He didn't make any like huge mistakes, but he didn't make any plays either. He's just kind of out there. And he's a fifth-year senior. And I can't have a fifth-year senior out there not making plays at a linebacker position at Notre Dame. He's slow to react. The game, he's not intuitive like Tavon Coney and Drew Tranquil and Jalen Smith. And Manti Teo, he's not. He's not. And not everybody has to be that guy. I understand those are rare talents and rare skill sets. And I always talk about that, that being that intuitive as a linebacker is something you're born with. It's a gift not everybody has. But if you have it, you see it on guys right away. So when I look at this and I see a fifth-year senior out there not making any plays... And looking confused and looking like it's taking him an extra second to tell his body what his brain's reading. And then by that time, it's too late to make a play. Here's my thought. If you're going to be out there not making plays as a fifth-year senior, I would rather see a younger guy out there not making plays. Because at least they're going to learn and be able to contribute next year and the year after that. I just don't see the point of giving snaps to a fifth-year guy who looks confused, isn't making plays, and then he's gone next year. If there's a guy not making plays, I'd rather it be somebody who can learn from it that may have a future to help the program. And I know that's harsh, and he's a hard-working, good kid. But this is a production game. And I'm not seeing any. So if I'm not going to see any, I'd rather see that from a younger kid. Because moving forward, we could get more out of it. I'm just looking at the long run. If you don't get it by the time you're a starter as a fifth-year senior, you ain't going to get it. I'm sorry. You're not, it's not going to click. So I'd rather see those snaps go to a young guy who can learn from it and help us in the future. I'm sorry. It's a production-based game, man. And I'm not seeing any. So... My thought on defense is I bet you will see better linebacker play, at least just staying in their gaps. I hope after a two-week layoff and all this tape, I hope to see an improvement in that area. Some of the over-pursuit, I think guys were just amped up to make plays week one. I can live with that. I expect it to look better this week. So that being said, let's move into the 10 things I am specifically looking at. For this game, these are not in an order. It's just my notes as I kept watching the game and whatever. I just came up with 10 bullet points. Here they are. One, obviously, what's Ian Book and the offense going to look like? I know what I want to see out of Book. I want to see him. I don't even care if he completes him at this point. I need to see a concerted effort to move the ball downfield this week. I just need to see it. 
before I even worry about his completion percentage, I got to at least see him try it. Furthermore, I got to see how they're going to use the, what's the running back situation now? Even Jameer Smith got banged up a little bit and was not practicing full speed, but I think he's going to be back to full speed. What's the running back plan going to be? How are they going to do it? And Ian Book, I got to see them do something downfield. I'm going to lose my mind. This is not Frank Leahy, 1946. Throw the ball downfield. So that's what I would look for, out for for the offense. Ian Book to be sharper, plays downfield, and what's the running game plan now that they have to adjust again with Jafar out? Number two, clean up the dumb penalties. Jumping off sides, just doing that dumb stuff. I know people say, give it a pass. It's week one sloppiness. Whatever. Clean it up. Three, cleaner tackling. That's another thing people say, oh, it's just week one. I'm not dealing with these arm tackles and whiffing. Those are all touchdowns against Georgia if you swing and miss with your arms. You're in bad position. You got arm tackle touchdown every time. Every time that happens in Georgia, put seven points on the board for them. Got to clean it up. Four, proper gap integrity, not giving up those gash run plays. And we already kind of talked about that. The other thing is, I don't know if New Mexico has athletes capable of doing that to you anyways. So that could be hard to judge. But I would like to see none of these huge gashes up the middle for them just to run through for 25 yards. Number five, are we going to get any more clarity about the linebacker rotation? Who's in when? Who's better suited for what role? Does anybody stand out making plays? I'm hoping with another week and all this film review, this will all start to level out. You cannot go into Georgia still not knowing what your plan is there. Six, offensive execution and short yardage. We went over the first game, how upset I was. Third and fourth and short, we ran into a wall against an undersized defense. Again, I don't know how good of a judge this team's going to be because they're terrible at football and they're undersized. But it would at least make me feel a little better if you converted those. And if the play calling put our guys in a better position to succeed. So I'm looking for that on short yardage. I mean, we kind of covered this in bullet point one, but I put actual explosive plays. Two tries over 20 and only four over 10 yards is not enough. Next, I have cut the running yardage allowed in over half. You gave up 250 to Louisville? I want to see 100 yards given up to this garbage team that's coming here to play. 100 yards max. Unacceptable. Number nine, the Kyle Hamilton watch. That's one thing I have nothing to complain about. The kid looks fantastic. He's out there as an 18-year-old making plays. We got seniors and fifth-year guys that can't make any plays. Give me a break. So let this kid play more. He's making plays. And nobody's making plays against him. Let the, I don't care if he's young. 
Find a way to get him on the field. And number 10, finishing plays. I put sacks slash finishing plays. We were in a lot of position to make plays in the Louisville game, and we didn't do it. We were either too slow, a step behind, a little out of position, a little over pursuit. Guys were close to sacks, but then he, they couldn't get to him. Clean it up. I want to see some plays behind the line of scrimmage this week. More of them. Sacks. So that's it. Those are the 10 things. Ian Book, the running game plan. Limit penalties, cleaner tackling, proper gaps, no gashes. Linebackers sorting out. More effective in short down and distance plays offensively and defensively. Explosive plays attempted. Cut running yardage at least in half. Kyle Hamilton doing what he's doing. And finish plays behind the line of scrimmage. More sacks. Those are the 10 things I'm looking for. Now, is it possible we accomplish a lot of these and it still doesn't tell me much going into Georgia because the competition's bad? Yeah, that's possible, but at least give the kids some confidence. That's what I need to see out of this game. This is another one. I sound like a broken record. This team is 100 times worse than Louisville. You need to win by 40-something points. You do. You just do. And if you don't, and it looks anything like Louisville against this team, I hate to say it, you got it's uh-oh time. That means they have no answers. That means they don't have the answers. That's a bad way to live. So, given that it's a bye week and there's not a full Notre Dame game to review, and we already kind of did the New Mexico preview, I wanted to hit on a few things, just bullet points like I did in the offseason, things I saw on Twitter, um, comment on some of the college games I saw. I'm going to comment on the Bears, too, since that's my local Chicago area team. And I want to go over some of this stuff because it's kind of fun. And quite frankly, it's a break from some of the Notre Dame frustration. Here's the first thing. And I saw a lot of this on Twitter. And I don't understand it. It's very short-sighted. And if you're a Notre Dame fan making this argument, you, you got to be smarter than this. I saw a lot of people saying when people were hard on book for his stat line against Louisville and how he looked, people said, oh, but look at Lawrence at Clemson. He didn't have a, he didn't light it up game one. Why aren't people on him saying he's no good? How's that fair to Ian Book and people aren't saying it about Lawrence? Because he didn't have a great stat line. That is a very, very dumb, very, very lazy position to take. For a couple different reasons. Number one, Lawrence has already proven that he's elite. He's already proven he can win a championship. He's already proven he can shred the Notre Dame defense and the Alabama defense back-to-back -back weeks on the biggest stage for everything to play for. He's already done it. Therefore, if he has an off week, he has an off week. Nobody has questions that he could take him to the promised land. He already proved he could do it. Ian Book has not.
people are hoping to see him take the next step. That's what Louisville was supposed to be, not a step backwards. So if you can't see the difference between the two and that one has already proven everything there is to prove in this game and the other is not, you're an idiot and you're stupid. So that's number one, that that argument is invalid. Number two is, and this might not be fair to Ian Book, but it's the facts. Notre Dame needs more out of Ian Book to succeed at a high level than Clemson needs Lawrence to succeed at a high level just because there's a difference in the overall talent around these guys. Lawrence didn't have a great stat line, but he has Travis Etienne, and they still blew the game out. He doesn't have to be that sharp to win these games because the supporting cast is better. Notre Dame's going nowhere unless Ian Book is borderline elite. That's just the plain facts. So Notre Dame needs more out of Ian Book for the team to do well. Maybe that's not fair, but it's the situation we're in. So because we require more out of him, we're, he's going to get scrutinized more when it doesn't look great. Lawrence cannot play that great, and they blow a team out because everybody around him is better. So maybe that's not fair, but it's reality. Notre Dame needs Ian Book to be borderline elite for them to make a playoff bid. They do. And so those are just, it's just a dumb argument. It's just a dumb argument. Moving on, and this is something I saw on Twitter as well, and I just don't understand, I don't, I can't put myself in this mental space. The tweet was, after seeing our first game, and after seeing how Georgia's playing after a couple weeks, is anybody really going to be mad if we lose to Georgia? That was the tweet. I don't know how to respond to that. Like, what sort of loser wouldn't be mad? Like, if you're asking me, could do I will I understand why Notre Dame loses to Georgia if they lose to Georgia? Obviously, I understand it. It's an away game. They have a better quarterback, better everything, better roster, more athletes, great running backs. They got everything. So, yeah. I could definitely understand the reasons Notre Dame would lose to Georgia. That doesn't mean I'm still not going to be mad as hell. What sort of loser comment is this? Yeah, I can understand they're a, a higher quality, better athletic team. But I'm still going to be mad if we lose to them out of pure jealousy. Of what they have and we don't have and I want. So what sort of loser calls himself a fan and is just going to say, oh, if we lose to Georgia, I'm not even mad. You can understand why we lose to Georgia and still be furious about it, that we're not as good as they are and we don't have as many good players and be mad about it. These kind of losers, I just don't understand their mentality, man. I just don't get it. I could understand us losing to them, but I'm still going to be enraged by it. I just don't get it. 
This kind of thinking is just loserish. It's just accepting mediocrity, which is my main problem with half this fan base. Discussing Georgia leads me into my next point. I think the next three-game stretch is pivotal for Notre Dame. I think you need New Mexico to work out some things against a high school team where you should have no problem winning. Hey, doesn't this ring a bell for two weeks ago? Yeah, I know. I'm saying it again. This team's way worse than Louisville. But I think you, New Mexico's important now because you have a lot of stuff to work out. And so that's important to have on field against a real team to work on some of these things. We already covered the whole hour. Then you have Georgia. I'll admit, it ain't looking too good going to Athens right now. After what we've seen, how can you feel good about it? So, let's say you take a loss to Georgia. That Virginia game is the pivotal game of the season if that, if that happens. Because you can't drop two in a row and have two losses in September. That's how things snowball and you end up eight and four, seven and five. You cannot have two losses in a row. Cannot happen. So this three-game stretch is really, really important. If you do lose to Georgia, you got to find a way to win that Virginia game because if you lose two in a row, this is going to snowball on you. You're staring seven and five, eight and four right in the face if that happens. And that is unacceptable given the raw talent level in this program currently. So these next three games, you need to figure your stuff out. They are pivotal. Let's touch on the Bears a little bit, shall we? Now, the Bears are my NFL team because of proximity, not because of my heart. Um, there's no romantic feelings towards the Bears like there is Notre Dame. It's not emotional for me. They're just the NFL team that's by here and whatever. So I think in a lot of ways that frees me up to even look at them more objectively. So here's the problem I have with them. One is this defense alone is good enough to win them 10 games. I'm not even worried about like just the defense alone is going to win them 10 games because there's so many garbage offenses and mediocre offenses in the NFL, this defense is going to smother. They're good enough to win them 10, 11 games on their own. I think the ceiling for this team is however far Mitch progresses. I still think in this day and age, you need a quarterback to win the Super Bowl. And so Mitch's progression here is going to dictate how far they go in the playoffs. I just believe that. Quarterback's too important, okay? Now, being local all summer, all camp, the radio, sports talk rate, everything was about this Bears offense, how many weapons, how many toys they have. Matt Nagy, the offensive genius, they're going to move pieces around, trickeration, this and that. They got David Montgomery, the good running back. They're going to do all this stuff. You can't show up and put up three offensive points in your first game. You can't. You just can't do it. And so here's what makes me mad about that. None of these guys played in the preseason. Now, they looked like garbage. The timing was off. No rhythm. Uh, just, just, just bad. Just bad offensive football top to bottom. Bad play calling. Bad execution. No rhythm. No timing. Just looked 
totally atrocious. You do not get to stand up there and say, none of these guys need any snaps in the preseason, but we're going to be ready to go week one. When you put up three points and look this bad, it is fair for people to start asking, should these guys have gotten some reps in the preseason to help with timing, to help with getting plays in so you don't take two delay of games? Things like that you can only get from real football games. Not a scrimmage at Olivet Nazarene down the road here. Okay? So it is perfectly fair for people like me to say, maybe instead of laughing and yucking it up on the sidelines, these guys could have benefited from some of those practice games in the preseason. Oh, well, John, we don't want to get hurt because we want to be full speed for week one. And then week one, you laid a fat turd. So what did it get you? You're healthy, and now you're losing the division of the Packers, who look like they might have an actual defense this year. That's not good enough. So you don't get to say, we're so good, nobody needs to practice in these games, and then put up three points. It's fair to ask now if they should have been playing in the preseason. What would I do if I'm the Bears? You have this monster defense. I would hand the ball off to Montgomery and make that the primary part of my offense and use all those gadgets and everything else and all those Cordell or Patterson and Cohen and all these little guys you got running around. That stuff needs to be added on to the base offense, not be the base offense. Matt Nagy's starting to get on my nerves trying to be the smartest guy in the room. All those gadgets and stuff he used as the offense last week. Hand the ball off to Montgomery. You drafted him to be an every down back. I think he's capable. He's slippery. Try and establish the run with him. Build off of that. That would be my plan. You have a monster defense. You're not going to need 35 points to win every week. So that's what I would do. But three points is totally atrocious. Nagy got caught with his pants down. Trying to be the smartest, trickiest guy in the room. And you forget the basics. It's garbage. Totally unacceptable. Now, the interesting part is, the next game, they go to Denver and face Vic Fangio, who was the Bears defensive coordinator last year. Nobody on earth understands how to get to Mitch Trubisky like Vic Fangio. He saw it. He knows everything about Mitch, what he can do, what he can't do. And he's got a defense in Denver much better than the Packers. So it ain't going to be easy sledding offensively next week either. So I'm excited to see what happens, mostly because if they lose, I don't care. It's not emotional, but bad football angers me, and I saw a lot of bad football. I've also been asked to give my opinion on the Antonio Brown saga. I wouldn't mess with them because I don't have the patience for it. That's just me if I was a GM or a coach. I have no patience for guys like this. I wouldn't even consider it. But he's such a talent. I understand why teams do. Here's my day. Saturday morning, going to the golf course for the morning round of my Ryder Cup tournament. The news on the radio, he's going to play for the Raiders. I get done with round one, go in the clubhouse to eat and have a beer before round two. Suddenly, he's released by the Raiders. I go play the second round of golf, come back in for more beer, 
and suddenly he's with the Patriots. So I, I, this guy, here's the deal. He may literally have like narcissistic personality disorder from the way he's acting in these video recording private conversations with the coach. Like that's not something a sane person does. So he's either super immature, like the video of him, I'm free, he's running around the yard. That's, that's something a 12-year-old does. And so he's either really, really immature and but just has the body of an Adonis god or he's mentally unstable, which crossed my mind too. He's legitimately has a mental problem from the way he's acting, his behaviors. Or maybe he's an absolute genius and totally orchestrated all this because he realized he didn't want to be a Raider and just started coming up with them, having his team tell his his posse telling him all the dumb things to do to get out of town. So I don't know what it is, but, you know, is it CTE either maybe in his brain? I'm not making light of it. Maybe his brain is dinged, but I think it's more likely he has the other kind of CTE. Completely toxic energy. Okay? So now you look at all this, and the Patriots are absolutely perfect. This is the most perfect situation. You know why? Because Bill Belichick doesn't stand for any of this crap. Bill Belichick's like, like your grandpa or your dad that everybody respects and nobody wants to disappoint or upset. I think people just know when you go there, you got to act right or you're gone. And you know you have a chance to win there. That's the other thing. You know if you play it straight, you have a chance to actually win something. And so it's the perfect fit. He's done well with Randy Moss. Like he's got a bunch of these guys under his belt that get in line once they go there. It's the most Patriots move ever. And if there's any trouble, they're just Bill Belichick won't stand for it. So this is the perfect move for them. And it looked like from what I saw last night, it doesn't look like the Patriots need any help offensively. But they're going to get more. So I wouldn't have the patience. I wouldn't mess with them. But it's a perfect example of how in life, at your job, in sports, if you are really, really gifted and skilled, people bend over backwards for you, give you every extra chance that you would never get if you were just a run-in-the-mill worker, employee, baseball player, whatever it is. But when you are at the top level, you could get away with murder. And this is just, this is how it goes. Now, I just want to give a couple thoughts looking at the college football games from this weekend. Just the things that really stuck out to me. One is, a lot of people were calling for Ohio State-Cincinnati to be a really good ball game. 42 to nothing is taking care of business. And I've told you guys before, if I have to pick in the Big Ten... Between the two evils of Michigan and Ohio State, I'm O-H-I-O, uh, call me Brutus Buckeye. Because I'm going to root for like hell for Ohio State over Michigan. So if that's what it has to be, then go ahead. I hope they're great. And Fields continues to look great, so good for them. LSU, Texas, I'll give two things. One is, LSU's actually got an offense now. They actually throw the ball downfield, and I got frustrated watching that game because you think of LSU, this tough kind of defense, and then 
run the ball on offense type of deal they've had for a bunch of years. Look at them throwing the ball down. the Burrow's throwing the ball all over. And it's exciting to watch. And that's what Notre Dame needs to be. So that's my thought on LSU. They actually have a real offense now. Texas, I'll give them credit for this. They hung in there with the physicality of an SEC team. Pretty darn tough for a Big 12 team that isn't used to getting banged around all night. So I will give them credit. They're on their way back, but they're not quite back. But I give them credit for hanging in there with the physicality of LSU all night. Now, Michigan Army, don't even get me started on this. Michigan should have lost. This should have already been a dumpster fire. It didn't happen. Army did some dumb things that you should never do when your Army in the position they were to get this upset. I'm, I'm to use Harbaugh's own quote, I'm bitterly disappointed that this humiliation didn't end up happening. However, if this is how Michigan's going to be, they got about three or four losses screaming at them down the road. Their last six games are, are five games, I think six, what is it? They got six ranked teams left to play. So if they're going to be this sloppy, you're not going to get away with it the way you did against Army. So you survived this week, but if you noticed, Michigan people aren't chirping that much. I think they're nervous, and they know this is a little bit of a shaky start. Play like this, they got three to four losses coming their way. Washington, yeah, nice loss to Cal. Like I told you guys, I don't believe in the Pac-12. Washington was supposed to be that team. You lose to Cal, get out of here. That's garbage. How about Maryland 63, Syracuse 20? I don't even know what to say to that other than if you had dreams about Syracuse knocking off Clemson, I don't know what this says for that. 63 to 20? What the hell's going on, Dino? Uh, one of the big surprises to me, I hate to say it, but Slovis looks better than JT Daniels at USC, lighting up Stanford 45 to 20. Lynn Swan resigned today. I don't know what's behind all that. But he looked good to me just getting the balls to those athletes and letting them make plays. So people around Notre Dame are starting to get nervous about that game again. That kid looked decent to me. And what do you know? USC rising to the top of the Pac-12. Maybe I'll get my wish and they'll keep helping. But you don't want them to get too good. It's very delicate. I keep telling you that. Florida State, total dumpster fire. You beat Louisiana Monroe 45-44 only because... Louisiana Monroe missed an extra point in overtime. Total garbage. Willie's an idiot. Horrible coach. Just, I can't believe how bad that program is right now. Can't believe it. Tennessee, same thing. Just shut it down. I, I don't even know what to say. I don't even know what to say. The way they lost that game to BYU is totally unacceptable. It's, it's, it's just a total nightmare dumpster fire. I don't know what else to say. Uh, Miami is 0-2, lost to North Carolina. Hey, give Mac Brown some credit, starting out 2-0. Not many people saw that coming. But Miami being 0-2, really, every time Miami does bad, I should be happy, but it really just pisses me off.
Because the peak of this entire turnover chain thing was beating us there. The rest of it's been total garbage. It just, it just, it drives me insane that we allowed them to have that high point and they've been garbage ever since that game. They've been garbage, but against us, they look like world beaters on the national stage. That still pisses me off. I think I hit everything I wanted to cover. Um, you know what time it is now. We got to end the show with an always annoyed, brand new, hot off the presses. Here it is. This is so simple, but uh, so I'm a person, generally speaking, I don't like people. Uh, I don't like the public and my job, I work with the public every single day. Maybe that's why I don't have patience anymore for it. But generally speaking, I dislike people. I find them annoying and dumb and in my way. Uh, and I, I just, I don't like people. That being said, as on-demand and all these things come up on your TV, I have not found it necessary to go to the movies for like five years. Why would I need to, right? You could do it from your couch, order the movie for five bucks before it comes out for free, watch it, it's comfortable, it's free, you're five bucks, cheap, whatever. That being said, every once in a while for date night, you just want to get out, go do the old school dinner and a movie your significant other, you're dating somebody, whatever it is, you want to do that. I understand that. And if there's no games I need to watch, I'm fine doing that. So Friday night, we're doing dinner and a movie. Um, there's no games I needed to watch. I was golfing all Saturday. Perfect. Dinner, go to dinner, fine. Go into a movie. And um, I didn't really realize this because I'm out of the movie game. The movie-going ex experience has totally changed. So now they have where you don't go to the window and get a physical ticket and get there early and get your seat. Now they have like these recliners and, that, and they're comfortable, but you go online and reserve and pick out the seats you want and reserve them for the movie. Your ticket is then digital on your device, right? Now, already, that makes me feel kind of weird. I'm not a big fan of sitting in a, a recliner that some slob with lice was in the movie before me, just relaxing in their sweatpant cutoffs, sweating. You, you know what I mean? They're swamp ass, and they're in that. So I already don't love the idea of some comfy recliner that some slob was in right before me. But I, whatever. Fine. Not a big deal. I could live with it. So, so fine, that, that's what we're going to do. So, so then I start thinking, now wait a second. If I have a reserved seat, why do I need to get there and watch 25 minutes of garbage-ass previews for things I'm not interested in and they're blasting them all loud and I'm thinking we could just skip that because we have reserved seats. I know the previews are 22 to 25 minutes. So I'm going to show up right towards the end of them, go to my reserve seat and watch the movie. Wrong. Wrong. Here's number one. Number one, the digital scanner had a problem with the digital tickets. So everybody wants to do this paperless world. Well, when you get up there, oh, this isn't reading it. Are you sure you bought these tickets? Whatever. Are you kidding me? 
I don't have patience for this. Yes, I bought the tickets. It's right here on my phone. What do you mean your scanner isn't working? Make it work. So, problem with that. That's number one. Inefficiency. Number two. So that was before we even got to that point. Number two. A popcorn and two drinks. $21. Nachos and a drink. $15. A thing of candy. $5. You must be outside of your mind if you think I'm paying that for popcorn and a Coke. Call me cheap all you want. I'm not even complaining about $9 for the actual tickets to the movie. That's totally fine. I'm cool with that. It's a cheap night out, really. I, I have no problem with that cost. But if you think I'm paying $21 for a large popcorn and two drinks, you're outside of your mind. It ain't happening. So that's absurd. So, so then I'm already a cheapskate because I'm pissed off about those ridiculous prices for stuff I could smuggle in in my shorts from home. That's number one. And number two, the scanner not working for your new age digital stuff because everything's got to be digital because it's more efficient, right? Apparently not. Scanner doesn't work. Are you sure you paid? Are you trying to sneak in? What are you talking about? So then... I get into the theater just like I planned on with the time on the previews about to run out just in time for the main show to start, which is exactly what I planned for. Now, the problem with this is, sure enough, some punk kids are in my reserved seats. What is the point of reserving this stuff online if other people aren't going to respect the process? So sure enough, there's no workers down there. I'm not trying to cause an issue. But now I'm the one coming in kind of late, but before the main show starts, who's saying to these kids, dudes, you're in my seats. Oh, uh, no, I'm not. Yeah, you are. Can you read A, B, C, D, 11, 12? These are my two seats that you are currently reclining in. Soaking your greasy, grimy, white trash skin into where I need to sit. I got a problem with this. So now I already got an issue with these two 17-year-old punk kids of me saying, no, you are in my seats. Oh, uh, I don't think so, man. What, what aisle is this? Yeah, you're in my seat. Get out. So then we got to go through that and people are looking at me like, I don't know where my seat is. No, it's these guys. So don't tell me to sit down because I'm standing. Tell these kids to get out of my reserved seats. So again, that's strike two with the technology. One, your scanner didn't work right. And two, the reserved seating is not going smoothly. Now I'm not in the, move, in the mood for a movie. So then that gets situated. Eventually, the kids were just trying to move up and get better seats. So eventually they left. But I'm already annoyed for having to even deal with that. Because the whole point of reserving seats is to not deal with that. Then the movie starts. And every little social nuance thing that drives me crazy. And makes it reaffirms why I prefer to watch movies on the couch with my dog. You got the loud eater. You know, the person you can hear them munching on their, their whoppers. And crunching down on their nachos the whole time. Loud as can be. Must have been a never ending plate of nachos. 
That's annoying. Almost worse than that are the people who can't figure out either how to open a bag of candy or chips or whatever, or every time they did it, they were reaching into an endless bet. I'm talking seriously for two and a half hours. This, all of this just to get a Twizzler. Seriously, all that noise the whole time digging in there. Come on, driving me nuts. Then, of course, you have the people who have to pee every two minutes, so they're walking in front of you, nudging by you, because they got to go pee every two minutes, apparently. That's annoying. Then you have the people who insist on laughing at things that are, aren't funny, like things in the movie that weren't intended to be funny, and you got some guy <laughs> in the background. That annoys me. I don't care. Good for him. He had fun. But it annoys me that he's laughing out loud at things that are not funny or meant to be funny. That annoys me too. Sorry, it just does. Don't get me started at all the dings and bells from all the text messages, the people on their phone, the people texting and it's bright, you know, the, but you hear phones going off the whole time. That's annoying. Okay. The people talking amongst their group. You know, you got a group of kids in there and they're talking to each other the whole time. You can hear it. That's annoying. Even more annoying than that are the people that are yelling at the movie. You know, like, oh, duck, run. Like, dude, nobody wants your commentary on the movie. Shut the hell up and just sit there. I don't want to hear you calling out the play-by-play -play of the movie. Shut the hell up. And on top of it, I felt like I was on every airplane I'm ever on where I got some kid kicking my seat the whole time from behind. Okay? So when I look at all of this in totality, it reminded me why I stay at home, order a movie for $5, make my own popcorn, and just sit there in peace and quiet away from the public, which is just how I want it. I honestly tried to give it a chance and go in with an open mind, but from every turn, I was reminded of why I don't do this. Every single stop along the way had a problem that annoyed me. Every single one. Nobody's got patience for that. Well, maybe a lot of people do. Maybe I just don't. Maybe I'm the problem here. But that entire thing annoyed me. It just did. What do you guys think? Is it just me? You can tell me if it's just me. Tell me. I can deal with it. I know I'm not the easiest guy to get along with. I know that I'm quirky. I have certain things that set me off. Tell me if it's me or if this stuff's ridiculous. That's it. That's all I got. Let's talk after New Mexico. Hopefully, we have some answers rather than more questions. That's what I want. I hope we get it. Talk to you later.